Hello, it is October the 6th, 2019. This is Wes Fryer, and this is a recording of our Sunday School class at First Presbyterian Church in Edmond, Oklahoma today. Our class is entitled Curiosity and Questions, Jesus and Faith, and in this lesson we were talking about chapter 3 of Francis Collins' book, The Language of God, and that chapter is titled The Origins of the Universe. This audio recording has been edited to eliminate some of the talk time, as well as the confidential joys and concerns that we shared at the end. You can find the slides for this presentation, as well as more information about this course and lesson, at followjesus.westfriar.com. Our Bible verse today is going to be Genesis 1, and so if you want to... Get your Bible ready or your phone ready, whatever. Um, I'm, as an experiment, going to record the instructional part of today. I'm not going to record joys and concerns. And so um, for those that might miss or whatever, I was saying earlier that, uh, yeah, I, I, I almost did my dissertation on lecture casting, which is like recording a lecture. Not that I think it's just going to be, you know, phenomenal. But hey, for people who, who would like to have it, we'll give them another another option. So today we are going to be in Chapter 3 of Francis Collins' book, uh, The Language of God, which is entitled The Origins of the Universe. He touches on what could be semesters upon semesters of physics and biology and just concepts that are kind of mind-blowing. And I'm honestly going to try to do less than last week because one of the things that's always hard is... The Hoopers are having a fight. That's okay. You know, the Baileys have moved. When somebody moves tables, you know, sometimes it just it introduces a little disruption. It's okay. A quick getaway. It's all right. So it's okay. We'll we'll make it. We'll make it. So if you haven't already picked up a copy of the book and you'd like to read along, the chapters aren't too horribly, you know, huge. They're like 15, 15 or 20 pages, something like that. Uh, so Origins of the Universe this time. Shelly's going to teach next week on life on Earth of microbes and man, which I think we could probably say humans, be um, a little more egalitarian there. Um, and then on the 20th, we're going to be doing what I'm really looking forward to, and, and probably you'd think, since he headed the Human Genome Project, one of the most important parts of his expertise is deciphering God's instruction book, Lessons of the Human Genome, for us. Um, and then the last weekend of the month, we can look forward to Vita and Rick's house, and we're going to have an 11-inch telescope experience, and I'm still working on finding someone else who has even more astronomical knowledge than I, which is not really a hard thing to find, but I have a little bit. That kind of finishes us up through October, through the, the end of this month. Uh, so uh, remember that if you have not already and you're willing to have a Google account, you can join our Google Classroom and if you don't want to join that, you can still have access to the slides. I, I didn't send them out very early. Well, I, I just sent them out this morning from last week. But I've made a website, followjesus.westfriar.com. And so all of our slides and the videos and things like that are linked there that you can check out. So um, we're going to continue to kind of follow the same format. Um, and so we're going to open up with prayer, have our big questions and our Bible verse, this time from Genesis 1. And then we've got a couple 
videos to accompany our lesson and some table talk. But I really am going to try to like do a little bit less because we didn't have enough time to talk last week, right? There's so much, there's so much, but it's okay. Um, so let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you've given us to be here in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to, to open up your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you for the invitation you extend to us, not only to know your son, Jesus Christ, to invite your Holy Spirit to come and enter into our hearts and into our minds, but also, God, this invitation for us to wonder and to ask questions and to seek you and to seek to understand this amazing universe that you've created, our bodies that you've created. Uh, Lord, help us to see you today in the things that we discuss and the conversations that we have. Uh, and we pray that you would send us forth from this place to do your work. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So. Uh, yes, that was our opening prayer. Um, big questions. How can we have free will when God is omniscient and omnipotent? That's just kind of a small thing to try to tackle today, right? But one of the cool things that I hope we'll make a connection with is that, and I say recent, in the last 60 years, 80 years of science, Classical science has been upended Newtonian physics. When we think about Newton and the planets being in motion and the ways in which formulas will predict, you know, like I can, this is kind of wild. My Apple Watch, I have this like watch face that shows the sun and it shows the location of the planets like now, where they are. It's kind of cool. Uh, so I, I, you know what? <laughs> Everyone is right where God intended. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. So that idea of Newtonian predictability, everything's mechanical. Uh, and also from that came a theological or a cosmological understanding. Did God just set the universe in motion and then step back? You know, or is God active in our lives and, and present? Does He have a relationship with us? Do miracles happen? So, anyway, that's question one. Just a small little question. Oh, isn't that nice? I have two question ones. <laughs> I, I download these from Google Slides, and so, yeah, sometimes they don't, yeah, I don't check the formatting. So, question two. How does quantum mechanics inform our understanding of the universe and cosmology? And I'll have to tell you, even though I probably took like 15 engineering and science classes at the Air Force Academy, and I took, you know, I have a PhD with, you know, quantitative statistics, all this, I don't understand quantum mechanics fully. In fact, if there was anyone in this room that claimed they did, we, we may want to question their credibility, because the experts on quantum will say, this is not fully apprehended, like fully, fully comprehended. But there are some really, I think, exciting, but also humility encouraging things that we can conclude from all this um, that can inform our beliefs and also inform a belief that I think can be very compatible looking at science and what science tells us and then what we learn from Scripture. So let's open our Bibles to Genesis 1. And as I did last week, I'm going to read from two versions. I'm going to read from the King James Version, and then I'm going to read from the Message. And these are going to be the first five verses. And so uh, I'm going to, again, like we did last time, and that's part of the part of the reason why... The lesson took longer, but I think this is this has got to be one of the most important parts of our lesson, right? Um, hopefully, and I am doing it more, 
you know, during the week we're opening up the Bible, we're letting Scripture fill our fill our minds. If we're not doing that in Sunday school class, then that might that might be a problem. So here we go. Genesis one, first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So that's the King James Version. And now I'm going to read the message. I'm going to give you an opportunity at your table to talk about these verses and what stands out to you. What do you hear? How is God speaking to you through this? How do you understand God's truth through these verses? First this, God created heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke, light, and light appeared. God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening. It was morning. Day one. So... Turn to those at your table and talk about the first five verses of Genesis 1 for just a few minutes. Go. Okay, so let's, uh, let's uh, raise your hand if you can hear my voice. Get your attention, the attention of others at your table. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right. Uh, let's just kind of go table to table. We'll start with the A table. Kelly has named the A table. Ah, ah, see, the teacher reserves the right to switch around. You can volunteer whoever you would like. So you're not on the spot. And let, well, if somebody puts you on the spot, you can actually defer if you don't want to. But let's just get a thought from each table. We'll start here with table table A. Rick, you have been pointed to. Form and void to me is what they finally Okay, hydrogen is H2, right? And helium is HE? I don't know. Is it H3? So you guys help me out. I, I study political science and geography. Okay. Wow, okay. Yeah, I haven't been writing any of those in a while. So, there we go. How about hydrogen? So, what What now? What do we know now, Rick? It's not all hydrogen and helium. What do we know now? Or what do we think we know now? Well, this plane started coalescing and coming together to gravity. Now we have matter. I mean, carbon and this is a long time. So we say that was the first day. <laughs> Are we talking about a 24 hour Earth day? Maybe a years. I'm going to jump to steal it, but we had poetry mentioned over here, right? In fact, poetry and drama even 
I can spell as I try to write and think. Poetry and drama and metaphors. Okay, do you want to elaborate on that? We've already taken your idea, so does somebody want to? I just said the first King James Version is so poetic. Right, and we're we're glimpsing, we're glimpsing the truth through each of these. Right, we've talked about language as a limitation, because I try to say this and I'm trying to communicate this idea to you, but language is an approximation of this. Something from our front table <laughs> about. It's <laughs> okay. Now, this isn't a comparison and judgment. Table. <laughs> I mean, so in the beginning, so. Before, before that, there was. I mean, obviously, time time began then. I mean, there was no time. There was no concept of time until God said it starts. Right, and we understand as God being omniscient and omnipotent that God is transcendent of time. He is transcendent of all time. Right. I think we understand that when we pass away, we cease to experience time the same way we do here. We're experiencing time in a linear, we were born, we're going to die, we have days, like, but God is beyond all that. He is above all that. Like, that's pretty much impossible to fully get our heads around, right? We are three-dimensional beings, actually there's four dimensions, right? Three dimensions of space, and then there's time, and we understand time moving forward. We really don't exist like our spirits do, but as humans, we're, we're bounded by this. So anyway, there's, there's some stuff about time here and this idea of time starting, okay? And then I'm also going to put the universe starting. And so what's interesting in terms of thinking about the origin of the universe is there is alignment here with what uh, the predominant scientific theories are today and what we understand biblically right here, Okay? There was darkness, and then there was light. There was nothing, and then there was an explosion, which is continuing to expand out into this vast universe that we have started to glimpse. You know, we're glimpsing more and more all the time, right? Hubble Space Telescope, outside of Earth's atmosphere, being able to, to peer into the heavens. There was exciting announcements this week from Elon Musk and SpaceX. This is not in the slideshow, but like he he had this big announcement. Uh, was it in South Texas where they've got the Starship, and this is what he wants to send out that will go to the moon and have a base and, and Mars. You know, we're we're really in a pretty exciting time. Okay. All right. Anything else that stood out from this as a thought, as a concept that hit you? A lot of order. Order to the universe. And isn't that an interesting thought? Because one of the one of the laws of physics talks about systems moving from order to disorder. And I've wondered about that like fundamentally. Like, well what's up with these highly complex beings that, you know, composed of DNA, like if that is the the is that true in every context? You go from order to disorder. What's up with this very ordered organism, right? One of the things Collins talks about is how finely tuned the universe is, right? Because if water didn't behave just as it does, all of these processes in the earth wouldn't happen. If we, I mean, 
uh, Mars closer to Earth, to Sun, further away. Venus, what, what's what's the order? Want to sing the song? Mercury, Venus, the Earth, and Mars. Okay, so Earth is closer than Mars, but you know, livable atmosphere in Mars today? No. Why don't we burn up? Why do I mean the that? Uh, movie or video we, we saw the clip of. In fact, I, I put that into the uh, Google Classroom. It's like a six-minute clip we saw. Will Smith narrates one strange rock. And he talks about how hostile the, the sun is, right? And the way in which we have this iron and nickel core that creates this magnetic field, which is defending us at all times from these rays that would destroy us. They would destroy us. And so light from the sun gives, but it's also an incredibly destructive force. And the genesis, as we understand scientifically of our planet, we were born from collisions. We talked last week about the theory now of how the moon came, and it was, they think, a collision of a large planetary-sized object that smashed the earth. And that's why when the astronauts brought back moon rocks and they looked at them, they're like, hmm, this is looking like uh, earth rocks. How did this happen? So our theories, I mean, and that, that, that amazes me, right? How do you piece all that together? <laughs> you know, how do you try to turn the clock back and, and piece that kind of stuff together? All right. Wow. E- I made a list, and this isn't all of them, but vocabulary terms from Chapter 3. We're not going to talk about all this, okay? <laughs> like, I took physics in high school. I took physics in college. Uh, I've seen some Nova specials. I've stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. So, you know, I have some some knowledge. But I am not a physicist. And so, you know, what do we make from this? Okay, what are the pieces we're going to take from this? I'll say that one of the things we're going to talk about here in just a minute is Newton. I was shocked by the quotation in here that Newton wrote more about biblical interpretation than he wrote about physics. What? What? Because, you know, I haven't had a slide about Dawkins. We're going to talk about Dawkins. Uh, Richard Dawkins is one of the most ardent uh, proponents for evolution and also for a denial of God's existence. But it's a relatively new thing in the history of science for this idea to be put forward that you have to choose science or faith. The priest at our school told me this week that an eighth grade parent had come to talk to him because their eighth grader doesn't want to do confirmation. And I don't know, boy or girl, but they they said they believe science. They don't believe God. Okay. Part of the reason we're doing this class is because the culture is full of lies. And one of the lies in our culture today is that you and I just need to choose either science or God. And as we've said, God doesn't tell us to check our brains at the door. He doesn't say, stop thinking and just come in here and memorize everything. So Laplace is a French guy who extended Newton's ideas and made this contention that you know, the world is so deterministic, there's no, there's no place for God. And so Einstein believed in God 
but you know, wrestled with these kinds of things as well. We've talked about there's stuff that science can cannot really answer. Anyway, that's that's a lot of vocabulary, and we're not going to cover all that. And I'm going to stop talking because I'll try to talk about too much of it. So, let's just do a couple quotations. Saint Augustine, heard of him before? Pretty smart guy. And I love this quotation. This is on page 83 of the text. And I'll read it. In matters that are so obscure and far beyond our vision, we find in Holy Scripture passages which can be interpreted in very different ways without prejudice to the faith we have received. In such cases, we should not rush headlong and so firmly take our stand on the one side that if further progress in the search for truth justly undermines this position, we to fall with it. I think I actually maybe got the last words of that wrong. Page 83. Uh, what does this remind you of? Has the church ever so wedded itself to a scientific theory that you know it felt if it was challenged, it would all fall down? Copernicus. Somebody summarized that little debate for us. Copernicus said, not the earth in the middle of the solar system, but... The sun. And why was the, the, at the time, I think it was before they were called Catholic, but it was the Church of Rome. Why were they, who, who had come up in, from Greek, um, knowledge, the, his, his big name started with an A. Aristotle, okay, had that as his cosmology, that the earth was the centerpiece. And so that had become part of what the, the Church of Rome at that time, um, held. We too fall with it. Okay, so I'm just missing my second O. Uh, I actually spoke this into my computer and it failed me to know I was talking about T-O-O. Alright, yeah, there we go. We've talked about in this class, there's going to be stuff we're going to disagree about, right? Have you ever had to uh, defend infant baptism to somebody who was like upset about that? When I was teaching fourth grade, I started in 95 in Lubbock, Texas, Wheelock Elementary School, and the parent wasn't like trying to just really be aggressive, but, you know, he knew I went to the Westminster Presbyterian Church and we baptized babies. And so he challenged me on that after school. I was like, why, what is this infant baptism? Kids can't, they can't know? What is that? I didn't have a really great answer. You know, today my answer would be, yes, we have that as a sign and seal of God's promise. And we, the people of God, the church, are announcing that this child we claim for the family of God. And this is an expectation of the day that they will stand in front of the congregation, as we saw last week, right? We had a baptism, and he stood by himself up there, right? In fact, that was, Derek said, that's how he wanted to do that. But anyway... I have a better explanation of that. Should that just totally divide us as Christians, the fact that some immerse and some sprinkle? and I don't think so. right? So there are things about which we will disagree and we won't say this line in the sand cannot be crossed. But there are things that are like that. right? We have denominationally left the PCUSA in large part because of the idea that Scripture is the authoritative Word of God. And... You know, we had to make, we had to pay a ransom of half a million dollars, right? You remember that? It was on session when that happened. So these are things that are important to discern. What are the things which can be interpreted in different ways without prejudice to the faith we have received? What does that mean, without prejudice to the faith we've received? What do you think? 
Forfeited, discarded, okay, without rejecting it. All right, so uh, have you ever known anybody that skips to the end of the book? My dad did that a lot, I think. (laughs) I skipped to the end of this chapter, and that's what I'm sharing out of this, because out of all of these terms, all of this physics, all of this, I think this quotation that Colin shares from Augustine is a really good takeaway, which says... Man, let's not get so arrogant and tied up in the theory of today to think that, man, if suddenly, you know, the sun is the center of the solar system or the the universe, you know, has dark energy and dark matter, I mean, suddenly the castle falls down. Let's think about the core tenets of our faith and then let's keep our eyes open and our hearts and minds open to progress, the progress in the search for truth. All right. So, let's talk about this briefly. Who's, has anybody been to the Creation Museum in Kentucky? Okay, let me, let me say right now that I am not here to tell you I know everything about how creation worked and, and I'm, you know, I know it all. That would be totally stupid for me to try to claim. All right? I think I have a lot of insights and I think God continues to reveal those to us. But one of the things that this museum is based upon, I'll read this from the Wikipedia article in the third chapter, reflecting young earth creationist beliefs, the museum depicts humans and dinosaurs coexisting, portrays the earth as approximately 6,000 years old, and disputes the theory of evolution. So, we have entities, and these are oftentimes really amplified in in the, the modern media, right? How does the media often portray Christians? Outliers, freaks, people who are believing stuff that is just so out to lunch that, you know, anybody who knows science and understands how the world really works, they they wouldn't be a Christian, right? That's why I love utilizing this Francis Collins book, right? And and hearing from uh, Kurt Gruhl and hearing from others. And again, if you've got an idea of somebody who might be a nice speaker to come, someone who's a person of faith, who loves Jesus and believes in Jesus... They're a scientist, they're a doctor. I mean, I think it's awesome to get those kinds of perspectives because it is a false idea that either you believe everything the Creation Museum promotes or, you know, you are an atheist or agnostic, um, you know, and, and you reject God entirely. So on page 81, again, we're kind of skipping to the end, Collins has a nice synthesis of... What he initially says is the theist position. And then I also think this is just kind of where he is theologically as well. Um, having a complementary view that, you know, his, his ideas of science, the, the ideas of science, don't fundamentally all conflict with Christianity. This is what he writes. If God exists, then he is supernatural. If he is supernatural, then he is not limited by natural laws. If he is not limited by natural laws, there is no reason he should be limited by time. If he is not limited by time, then he is in the past, the present, and the future. Right? We were talking about that right here from our scripture. This idea of time and, and how God transcends That's it. That's omnipresent or something like that? Omnipresent means, yes, God would be in all places at all times. In all times. Okay, so he continues, and this is on page 81 and 82. This is like, if this, then this, then this. Talking about God is he. 
He could exist before the Big Bang, and He could exist after the universe fades away, even if it ever does. He could know the precise outcome of the formation of the universe before it even started. He could have foreknowledge of a planet near the outer rim of an average spiral galaxy. What's he talking about here? Earth and our galaxy is the Milky Way. So he's making reference to us here. Make sure I don't... He could have foreknowledge of a planet near the outer rim of an average spiral galaxy that would have just the right characteristics to allow life. He could have foreknowledge that the planet would lead to the development of sentient creatures through the mechanism of evolution by natural selection. He could even know in advance the thoughts and actions of those creatures. Key point. Even though they themselves have free will. Man. Okay, that's, that's tough, right? That's tough. Hey, but that's why we're going to talk about classical and quantum mechanics today. And i got to tell you, I'm kind of excited because I've never come to church before and talked about quantum mechanics. Neither have we. Neither have we. This is why we're here, though. We're talking about science and faith, okay? Classical mechanics is the view of the universe as completely ordered and predictable. Newtonian understanding. The planets move in their orbits... I can look at now, my Apple Watch was crazy, and I can see, oh, look, there's where the Earth is on the opposite side of the sun from, if my eyes were better, I could tell you which planet that is. <laughs> Mars, okay, so Mars, this it's red, I'm thinking it is. It looks like it's right outside the orbit of Earth. On the other side, so what does that mean? It means when I go out at night, I'm not seeing Mars right now, right? But classical mechanics, and this is what's amazing, the Mayans and different cultures, right? They had very sophisticated astronomical understandings to be able to know when is Jupiter. What are the planets that you usually see first? Anybody know, like, first star? What is that called? The first star I see tonight? How does that rhyme go? Venus. Star bright, star light, first star I see tonight. Okay, that's often Venus, right? The planet Venus, which is outside or inside. Mercury, Venus, it's number two. Or the third rock from the sun, remember that song? I'll have to play that one next time. So anyway, Venus is oftentimes brightest in the sky. Isn't it incredible to think about the Mayan culture, which, when were the Mayans around? A long time ago? Thousands of years ago. Okay, they had, in fact, some of the, some of the new um, imaging technology, which can literally peel back it digitally the canopy of the jungle, reveal these cities, which might have had, they think, a million people in them. I mean, just huge. We didn't realize the Americas would have that many people living together. Very sophisticated science, okay? And the point is, they were, they were into this, okay? They were able to use formulas and observations to be able to say, hey, tonight Jupiter is going to be rising, to know about the equinox, to know about when these astronomical events were happening. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us, as not just Christians, but as humans, like this is the elementary school version of physics that we're still thinking about. And by the way, this is still working. When you look at planets and predict, this stuff still works. But quantum means there's so much more and when you look below the planet level, the galactic level, what do we start to see? Isaac Newton. 1643, 
1727 in England. What's the story you think about with Newton? What do you think about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree? Okay, what do you think about Newton? The apple falls down and he says what? Gravity! Okay, so this was the quotation. Oh, did I not get it? Well, this is Laplace, okay? And I think I, I and Laplace was the scholar who um, has the Laplace transform. Man, can anybody work that? You know how that? You know how to do those? Laplace transform, Laplace's equation. Yeah, my son maybe could do that. Um, widely used in mathematics, but he is remembered in in this context for a very deterministic view. So here's what Collins writes. Isaac Newton was a believer who wrote more about biblical interpretation than he did about mathematics and physics. But not all of those who followed him shared that faith. Marquis de Laplace postulated that once the initial configuration of the universe was established, all other future events, including those involving human experiences of the past, present, and future, were irreversibly specified. This represented an extreme form of scientific determinism obviously leaving no place for God except at the beginning or the concept of free will. All right, so here's where quantum mechanics comes in. And I think I'm only going to, I think uh, Kelly asked for like, you know, one sentence. Give me quantum mechanics in one. I'm going to give you one minute, all right? Because there's a series on YouTube called uh, Physics in a Minute, and I'm going to show you one of their videos. They have several. Um, who studied this in school? Has anybody studied quantum mechanics in school? I mean, I've, I've had it mentioned. I never had a class on quantum but uh, the quotations that you get here are, are kind of staggering. What is quantum mechanics? This is Scott uh, Aronson, who wrote Quantum Computing Since Democritus in 2013. Quantum mechanics sits at a level between math and physics I don't know a good name for. Basically, quantum mechanics is the operating system that other physical theories run on, like an application software. This is what Peter Atkins, who wrote Forward to Beyond Measure in 2004, wrote. No other theory of the physical world has caused such consternation as quantum theory. No other theory has so completely overthrown the previously cherished concepts of classical physics and our everyday apprehension of reality. I'll skip down to here, where it's bold. The extraordinary feature of quantum theory is that although we do not understand it, we can apply the rules of calculation it inspires and compute properties of matter to unparalleled accuracy, in some cases with a precision that exceeds that currently obtained from the experiment. What? Okay, so let's watch some video, right? Let's watch a video. Uh, I'm going to give you the link to all of these. This is from Minute Physics. So these are all like a minute long. And we're just going to watch this first one. And the, and the basics of this is uh, particle wave duality. Okay? Light. What is light? This is kind of a basic question, isn't it? Light. It's operating as both a particle and a wave. What's up with that? Okay, let's see what they say. For You see particle-like behavior every day. Drop a ball on the ground and it follows a single trajectory. Leave your giraffe parked on the street and when you come back, it's still there. Just one giraffe. And we see wave behavior too. Toot your horn and waves spread out through the air, carrying sound to the ears of anyone around. Or drive a boat through water, and waves travel outwards along the surface. But when it comes to the physics of the very small, what we see is a wave-particle duality. Sometimes very small things, we're talking electrons and protons here, behave like particles. And sometimes they behave like waves, flip-floppers. For example, if you release an electron, it'll travel outward as a wave through the room, but when it hits the wall, it'll only hit in one place. You started with one electron, after all. So what if sound had a wave-particle duality? When you shouted, the sound waves would spread outwards in all directions, but only one person could hear what you said. 
Or when you drove your boat through the water, the waves would travel like normal, but only hit the shore in one place. Now that would make for some pretty boring surfing. Okay, and there's more. I'm not going to play more, but you got the link if you want to check it out. It's great. The other video I'm not going to play for you because we're going to talk instead of watch this five-minute video is a wonderful TED-Ed series. Have any of you all heard of these before? Like TED Talks, but they take a lesson a teacher has done, and they use amazing imagery and animation and everything to explain it. And so they explain this thing called the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle which means that you cannot determine, we understand scientifically, the momentum and the position of a particle at the same time. We're not going to watch it. We're going to talk instead. (laughs) Um, Go ahead and take a couple minutes, and then we'll talk together. Um, And let me just, let me say this. One of the things that we understand now because of the quantum is the classical view of the universe, that it's all deterministic and it can all be predicted with exact precision, is actually not true, especially when we look at the subatomic level. Um, and I may be not summarizing this as well as some of you all can. That's why we're going to talk through this. Out of our understanding of quantum mechanics and our understanding of, um, you know, that the universe isn't just deterministic and mechanistic in the way that Newton thought of it, I think points to how... There's not, there's not complete predictability. We have choices that are being made. And, and also, like, let's not be so arrogant to think we understand everything because we don't, okay? So anyway, yes, this is a question, too. I copied that again. So go ahead and talk at your table about these questions. How, what, do you, what do you think about this? And, I mean, is this something that we should worry about or not worry about? But, how, how, yeah, what do you think? There you go. Okay, let's draw together and share share some of the thoughts and questions. And there may be more questions here than there are answers, but what are some of the things that, that we said at our tables? Greg, you, would you share a little bit about that Calvin part that you were talking about? So uh, when it comes to free will and omniscience and omnipotence, my cousin's husband is a minister in a uh, more even, very evangelical uh, denomination. And we've had some interesting conversations. Christian would characterize it differently, but you know, essentially, it was you Calvinists have it all wrong. You know, we have free will. You can't say that God, from the beginning of time, knows that we will be Christians. You know, the predestination that Calvinists espouse and that we follow as Presbyterians. That because we have free will, that is an invalid theory. It kind of flies in the face of omniscient and omnipotent, though. I mean, if you're all knowing across all time. Yeah. Before time began, I mean, time is relative because of God. Uh, it, it makes it a. You know, so we've agreed after several enga- encounters. Engagement. We're just engagement. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to save my ammunition for a different fight. <laughs> so, okay. Auto draw. Mind you, but Calvin is kind of the basis for our. And, and I don't. And, and I struggle a little bit with the second question that you wrote. So under Calvinism, and we have free will, then how does that work mm-hmm. in an omniscient, omnipotent right. way where does it matter what we do, what we choose? You know, the, the, so we have one baptism, we, uh, we confess our sins every week, but if God knows the outcome, does it, you know, I, I struggle a bit with, you know, yeah. as I read Calvin and I'm, I'm on board, but. 
places where we struggle with this can end up being, well, if it's God's going to do it, then why do I need to act? You know, why do I have to confess? Um, you know, do I just have a license to sin? You know, Paul talks about this in his in his letters. You know, no, we're not just given this free pass to do do whatever we want. We understand as as Presbyterians specifically and Calvinists that it is God who invites. You know, and and that, I don't think that relieves any of us of our responsibility to share the gospel and to share the good news. But I also think we should not be arrogant to think that oh, because I came and shared with you, you know, I am the one bringing you the salvation. No, God and Jesus bring the salvation. They they're the ones who initiate. But this is challenging, right? And that's again where there's like this there's serious theological disagreements and ultimately we start getting back to some of this like we're trying to understand God who is beyond time we're trying to understand the coexistence of free will with omniscience and omnipotence okay what else got I'm set Adam and Eve and the story of of the apple I mean this is one of the most important ways in which we understand our relationship to God the way that God allows us to choose but also our need for God there's I mean how much theology comes from from that story, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Huge, huge amounts. Exactly. It's kind of, it, it, we talked a little bit about just prayer, and if it's all decided, and he, you know, he's all powerful. The the prayer is what keeps our relationship alive, and that's mm. what all really matters. I mean, not all, but you know, this stuff just doesn't affect me much. <laughs> but at a but at a really at a real basic level, I think this can help give humility humility to the scientists that at one point said we have this all figured out Laplace. There's no room for God because I got my formulas. Okay, and this with the the quantum and all of this. I mean, think about what we understand as Christians about prayer. That at any time I am able to speak to the Father. You know, he gave his son Jesus so that he can be the intermediary. I don't have to go to the priest. I don't have to go to someone else. I can directly pray to God, to the God of the universe, and that he can and does not only listen to me, but speak to me and guide me. And who does he get to do this for? Because physically Jesus isn't in the flesh on earth. God has given us the Holy Spirit. And who has access to the Holy Spirit, praise God? Every single human being on the planet who is existing and alive today and who will be existing tomorrow. And so I think part of where this takes us (laughs) is to some humility. And I think that in our in, in coming to humility, and we've I've mentioned the book of Job before. Like, read the book of Job. I mean, part of what you find there is that ultimately we choose faith and we choose to believe, and we acknowledge that we do not understand it all. We cannot apprehend it all, and I think that's one of the takeaways here: is that classical Newtonian science and physics. That's not where science is today with its understanding. We still have that, and we still have the predictive power of that. But we have a lot more that is actually, in some ways, raised more questions than it's answered. Well, there's always the thing that doesn't behave. Is it, you know, I read this week about gamma rays that are moving backward, you know, that have done the reverse time thing, that they're actually going faster than the speed of light. 
I mean, it's just, it's... Where do you so, read that stuff? I'm just curious about what you're reading. Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Daily Oklahoma. Daily Oklahoma. <laughs> SPN. It's just, you know, it's just a, a, it's just a scientific article that, uh, again, they discovered these things, and so it kind of proves some of Einstein and you know, relativity. And, you know, I think with Einstein, he said, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, go back to the Big Bang. The Big Bang takes as much faith to believe as the first chapter of Genesis. I mean, it's not more faith. And you're still left with the question of what, what before. What before. I mean, that's my question every time. It's like, okay, so what was before? Nothing. Disney what caused it? Yeah, I mean, what caused it? Uh, well, it just happened. Well, you know, I've got a book. Rolling on my table is um, when I talk this one year at Christian school. We, my chair did a presentation on all these old scientists, and most of them were devout Christians, Galileo and Newton, I think, and so on. And so they believed in God. They didn't believe it was mutually inclusive. So what's happened with all these newer ones that they just get so caught up? Right. And why don't they have that kind of faith and humility? Because the things that Galileo and Newton discovered were just as revolutionary in their time, but they were still able to put it in the context of a Christian viewpoint. I think one So thing, why have we gotten so far from that? I think one thing that's happened is who trained those people back in Newton's time. It was yeah. mostly monks, you yeah. know. Now, you know, we have the public well, we have more access to information than we ever have before, right? We have less filtering than we've ever had before. We are all just like open to the world of information more than we've in any other era of his human history. And so it's part of why we need to be the filter. I mean, we've always needed to be the filter, but we need to be always on the lookout for heresy, always on the lookout for messages that are not from the word. It's why we need to be in the word and we need to be in prayer. And we need to choose what it is that we put in front of our eyes and our minds. Because if we let the world put what it wants, guess what? We're not going to be probably following following Christ. I think it's important to teach kids if, if they don't have to believe that science excludes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a teacher, I'm a chemistry teacher. You don't have to teach them biology. If there can, there, there's a lot of compatibility. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, I have, again, not left a ton of time for joys and concerns. God, there are other things that are on our hearts that, that you know, and we put those things before you. I pray that you would be with us as we leave this place. We go out into the world filled with different voices, God. And I pray that you would bring us to a place where we would listen to your voice and where we would be able to discern your voice and we would seek your son Jesus above all the other voices that we find around us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, Wes. You are welcome. All right. Shelly will be here next week. So get ready for that.